Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. This is Deb Hutton. It is Wednesday afternoon, just after the four o'clock news, which means it's time to talk about all things dollars and cents with Brett House. Brett is the professor of professional practice in economics at Columbia Business School and a fellow with the public policy forum, the Monk School and Massey College. Good to chat with you again, Brett. You too, Deb. Let's make some sense of what's going on. I would love to do that. So uh, we discussed this, obviously, uh, the last time you and I chatted, we knew that the Bank of Canada governor was going to be looking at the uh, prime rate. Uh, They have held firm, I guess, for the fourth time now at 5% announced this morning. Your general thoughts on this, obviously not a surprise to you. No, it was widely expected because headline inflation is still above the 2% target, but it has been coming down and markets in uh, the sector of the market that prices, bonds, and by implication uh, represents the bets that investors take on when the Bank of Canada is likely to first cut rates, uh, had been pricing a first cut in March or at the April meeting. And that always seemed a bit premature, uh, but I think the statement today made it very clear that the bank also thinks that's premature, that we're not likely to get a first cut until later in the spring. I think July, some other smart people think June, if you think April, uh, but you know they were clear the uh, economy is slowing down. We have what economists call excess supply. There's more production than people demanding it right now, which is generally a condition that helps prices fall and inflation get a little weaker. But we're still in a situation where inflation's higher than we wish and wages are going up around 4 to 5%. So that combination of things means the bank is certainly going to cut rates this year because financial conditions are too restrictive and it doesn't want to go into recession territory by clamping down on economic activity, but it isn't quite at the point where it can ease off that tightening confidently knowing inflation will keep coming down. Brett, what's your take on, let's assume it's July for argument's sake before we see Mm -hmm. any rate cut. What's your take on the impact on the housing market? Because so many of us look at that rate because of our mortgages. Well, you know, what we will see is perhaps a bit of a dampening on the spring market, because if those policy rates don't come down, then we may not see mortgage rates uh, for pre-approvals or for new origination come down uh, as much as we might need to get people back into the market. Uh, but I should say, mortgage rates won't wait for the Bank of Canada to cut. Uh, they have come down somewhat, and they're going to continue coming down because they are keyed off those market prices, not strictly off uh, the Bank of Canada's policy rates. So they'll keep coming down, but if we don't see the bank cut until June or July, they're going to come down relatively slowly. Um, for folks already in mortgages, uh, the uh, the implication is that the uh, cost of those mortgages, where they're variable rates or where they have to renew, uh, that's also going to be slower to come down than folks might have hoped. But, you know, I think relief is on the way. I um, I have a hard time with this because my first mortgage was six and a quarter. And so five to me sounds reasonable. <laughs> well, you know, it all depends on where inflation is at the time, because the real right. cost of money is that headline inf- uh, interest rate less the cost of inflation. And if inflation's high, 
then a nominal 6% rate that you're paying on the mortgage could be smaller in real terms than that 5 or that 4% rate, depending again on what the rest of the economy is doing and how fast inflation is. So the national, the Financial Post um, did a feature on a, I, I, get a, I have to get all these words in, Brett, mixed-use, <laughs> residential, commercial, open-air, retail mega-project. They say it's a brave new direction for bricks and mortar in an e-commerce age. Your thoughts on this? Well, this is a huge development development in downtown Toronto that has sprung up on the Globe and Mail's former printing facility by the train tracks and the Gardener. And it consists of several big buildings that are both offices, residential, and it's all built on a podium with some big public space and room for shops and uh, kind of a mall-like environment. Uh, it, it is a bold move when you consider so much got shut down during the pandemic. Our patterns of life have changed and we haven't seen foot, tra- foot traffic come back to downtown cores at the uh, intensity that was pre-shutdown. So uh, it, it's a little TBD whether this works out well for the investors involved. Um, but it's also um, a bit hard to say exactly what it is because it's trying to be everything all at once. I think the architecture critic in the Global Mail highlighted that sort of hard to say what exactly this is because it's trying to be everything all at the same time. Well, presumably the concept is, you know, you don't have to have a car necessarily. You kind of, you you live in that hub, which obviously makes some sense when we're talking about traffic in the city just about every day and transit in the city just about every day. Uh, but it, it just, I guess for me, it's the mm-hmm. it's the retail component, right? So, so are we really at a stage where we're going to continue to shop in bricks and mortar retail stores. Well, you know, it's it's hard to say. The jury is out. We have seen in regional cities, you know, like London, Ontario, or Kitchener, Waterloo, uh, foot traffic come back more strongly than in cities like Toronto, where getting to some of that retail uh, relies on people being on public transit, and ridership on public transit hasn't come back substantially post-pandemic. So, you know, a lot depends on location, but I think you're absolutely right to point out this is an environmentally sound project. It's consistent with that idea of a 15-minute city being able to work and live and Mm -hmm. have fun uh, all within 15 minutes of each other. And, uh, you know, my hat is off to the investors on continuing on with this project that started pre-pandemic and really investing in the heart of Toronto. Now, there's an article that asks the question, what is a population trap and how do you get out? Brett House? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's been an argument and you've followed it and pretty much anyone has seen this really big turnaround in pundits talking about immigration in Canada. And, you know, people have become suddenly aware of the big increase in newcomers to Canada that we've had over the last few years. And this is where I think we really have to be careful about terminology because people are broadly saying immigration has gone up too fast and that means we've got too many people for instance, for the stock of housing that we've got or the capital, the tools and bricks and mortar that we've got in factories and firms to build things, provide services. And so this is dampening our growth. It's dampening our productivity and it's dampening our per capita wealth. 
it is really important to emphasize that the big spike in newcomers has come about not from immigrants coming here to live on a permanent basis. It's coming from temporary foreign workers, people on a very short-term work visa, and student numbers. And those temporary foreign workers are not coming in under the point system, you know, which we've used to screen for people with high potential or high skills that we need, they're typically coming in with very low skills. Mm-hmm. And they're going into fast food, hotels, meatpacking. And it's been those businesses that have pressured government to increase those numbers. And that's why. And in addition, we've seen, you know, these diploma mills grow up where we've seen a huge boost in student visas going to. Uh, these are not immigrants. They're people who are maybe hoping to be immigrants, but immigrants continue to boost our productivity, boost our economy. What hasn't been working out so well are these other classes of newcomers where we've pushed numbers up well beyond our absorptive capacity. So that's what the immigration minister is trying to get under control with the cut on student visas. Absolutely. And, and you know, something I always speak about, too, and being careful with the language, Brett, is um, mm-hmm. we're, we're losing track of some of these individuals because they are coming in on temporary visas, but then deciding to stay illegally, even though their entry into the country was legal. Yeah, we, we've kind of given up on tracking those uh, folks in a really meaningful way. And in some cases, you know, if they've trained here, under a student visa, those are some of the people we want to keep. Uh, I've argued for years the best screening method for people to come to Canada after the point system really should be if someone completes a degree, they can show they can study uh, at the tertiary level in English or French, and they've got skills that we need, and they can survive a Canadian winter if they're coming from the tropics. What more do we need to know they could be, beyond a security check, a real contributor to Canada? That's Dollars and Cents with Brett House, Professor of Professional Practice and Economics at Columbia and a fellow in the Public Policy Forum, Monk School, and Massey College. We will talk soon, Brett.